Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today. I'd like to welcome all those in our South Campus. I'd like to welcome those in our Grovetown Campus, our Dream Center experience. Man, this is a great day to be in church. And before we get started, I just want to say a couple of uh, shout outs and thank you so much to all of the volunteers that served over Easter weekend, also our ladies' conference this week. I'll tell you, invested a lot of hours. All the, uh, those of you that have invested resources into making that happen, over 4,600 people experienced Easter at Stevens Creek Church this year, over three campuses, nine services, uh, 171 people made decisions to follow Jesus. So um, what a great, uh, what a great week. And I'll tell you, I just appreciate it so very much, all of you, uh, what you have done, and just to help make the church what it is. So today, we're starting a brand new series called Life's Biggest Questions, but before we get there, I want to start with something funny. Oh, a little slow. I think I heard Grovetown a little bit louder than you guys. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So did you hear about the, the couple that went to the, uh, the doctor? The uh, man was having some issues, and, and the doctor gave him a physical, and then he looked at the wife and says, hey, I need to talk to you, but I need to talk to you outside. And so uh, he went outside and said, you know, your husband really uh, is sick, but it is treatable. It is treatable, and here's what you need to do uh, if, you, if you want him to live. He said, uh, you've got to uh, make him comfortable, You've got to remove all stress from his life. You've got to give him three hot meals every day, and then you need to be intimate with him every day. If you do this, he will live, but if you don't do this, he's going to die. And so uh, she walked back into the room, and she said, oh, honey, I am so sorry. The doctor said, you're going to (laughs) die. You know, all of us are going to die at some point. But none of us know when that day will actually come. I mean, I could be driving uh, home today and get hit by a car and I could die. I could find out that I've got cancer and in six months I could die. I could have a heart attack when I'm preaching. I don't know. We don't know when that day will come. I mean, I could go home and be attacked by a wild animal or a rabid squirrel or a venomous snake. You know, uh, we used to live off Hardy McManus Road. And in those days, on occasion, we would sleep. We had a a door in our bedroom that would go uh, out to the porch. And we would sleep with the door open so that the cool night air could come into uh, the room. And so we did that on occasion up until the day that Patty went out on the porch to water her flowers. And there was a snake in her water bucket. She said, no more sleeping uh, with the door open. Not going to have any snakes coming uh, this place. So, yeah, I could be killed by a snake. I could choke on a piece of peppermint candy, or I could die in my sleep. You just don't know how many days you have left on this earth. One day, we're going to cross over. We're going to cross over from this life to the next. One day, 
we're going to die. So the question is, the big question is what happens? What happens when we die? So if you were to ask that question to people in your neighborhood, people at work, you know, there's probably several answers. You know, one group of people would say, you know, we're just going to cease to exist. We're going to cease to exist. It's like the candle will be blown out and it will be no more. There's another group of people that said, no, no, everybody will go to heaven when we die. So there's a group of people that would say, yeah, everybody's going to go to heaven. Another group of people would say, hmm, I think that you're going to come back in a higher life form and that you're going to be reincarnated. So that's a, a, a view that some people would have that they're going to keep coming back. Now, if you look at the Bible, the Bible will clearly say that, uh, that when you go, when you pass on, that you will go to one of two possible uh, places. You'll go to heaven or you will go to hell. Did you hear about the church that uh, had that changeable letter sign? Have you ever seen churches that have changeable letter signs in the front yard? And they'll put their uh, announcements on there hoping to get somebody to pique their interest to come to church. And so this one uh, often put the pastor's upcoming sermon on the changeable letter sign. And so the sermon was, what uh, is hell really like? And that was that. And then they noticed they still had some extra space, and so they could put another line to encourage people to come to church. So you drive by, it says, what is hell really like? And then it says, come early and hear our choir sing. <laughs> so oftentimes, we will use uh, words like heaven and hell almost as adjectives to uh, describe something that's going on in our lives or to use it to, uh, to bring color commentary and so forth. Uh, several months ago, I, I walked out of this auditorium into the lobby and I, I met a guy that had never been here before and he was so moved by the message and, and, and he just went and said, Marty, I just want to tell you, said, uh, you gave a hell of a speech today. And um, I thought, well, okay, <laughs> what do you do? I just said, thank you. I'll come back next week. Um, and so, you know, we use those words interchangeably just a lot of times to describe things, but heaven and hell are nouns. There are places that people will go after they die or when they die. And so, um, I believe they're real places. And today we're going to look at uh, a section of scripture from the gospel according to Luke chapter six. Now, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story about the afterlife. Now, in this story, he features two characters. He features a rich man, and then he features a beggar named Lazarus. Now, this man, Lazarus, is not the one that was the brother to Mary and Martha. This is another guy in the New Testament named Lazarus. Now, this is the only parable that's kind of interesting here, the only parable where Jesus gives the main character a name. Oftentimes, he'll talk about the lost son. He'll talk about the rich young ruler. He will talk about uh, a sower went out to sow. He'll just talk about general people. And so, but this time in this parable, he names that character. And some people would say, well, it's because it's a real life story and not a parable. 
I don't know if it's a parable or a real life story. It is, uh, I'm approaching it like a parable, but I think in either case, it gives us some life lessons and gives us some insight into things that are coming ahead. In this um, story, we see the rich man enjoyed the finer things of life, but we see this poor beggar, Lazarus, did not have the finer things. In fact, he had to beg for food, and um, he had sores across his body. Now, these two men, it just so happens that they passed away around the same time. And more than likely, Lazarus' body was burned uh, in the dump outside the city, and the rich man was buried uh, in a tomb. So let's just pause right there. So let's talk about this. What happens when we die? Well, very practically, the first call you make, um, well, one of the first calls is you're going to call the funeral home, and then you're going to start that process. So should you be cremated or should you be buried? Okay, that's a... Now, when I was growing up, there was no such thing really as cremation. Everybody was buried in the ground. And so that's kind of how, but cultures change. Part of the reason cultures change is because the prices of caskets and services have gone up significantly and people are just being practical about it. So what does the Bible say about it? You really, it doesn't say definitively about that, but you see in this story, the man that went to heaven was cremated and the man that did not go to heaven was buried. Now, last week, we talked about Jesus who died on the cross. He was buried. And so uh, what I would take from that is that you make your own decision, okay? You're smart people. Uh, you know um, your family traditions, and you know uh, you'll know how to handle that. Um, but I will say just very practically, if you do go the cremation route, I won't... I'll give you a year to figure out what are you going to do with those remains. You know, some of you have uh, Aunt Barbara in your closet and have been there for years. Okay? So just, and I'm encouraging you to let that light have a place there, but that's a whole different conversation um, for a practical side that we can have when we're chewing the fat one day. Um, but it's, some, it's real. Let's open up the pages of the Bible and let's see what the scripture has to say. So there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham afar off with Lazarus by his side. Now, oftentimes people would read this and they would think very practically good. That's the way it should be. They feel like heaven and hell uh, should compensate people for uh, what they experienced here in this life, but that's not the case. The rich man was not in heaven, uh, not in hell because he was rich, and neither was the poor beggar in heaven because um, 
He was poor. That's not the case at all. The rich man did not make it into heaven because he found his identity in stuff. It's his luxury. He found his identity in money. We see in this very story that not only uh, the third character is Abraham. What do we know about Abraham? Abraham was one of the wealthiest men uh, to ever walk the face of the earth. So it's clearly um, that heaven and hell are not compensation for what you go through here, but we see Abraham's faith was rooted in God, and that's why he made it in. So the story gives us some interesting key truths about the afterlife. Three I'll mention right now. First of all, after our physical bodies die, we will continue to live. Okay? After our physical bodies die, we will continue to live. We see this in both cases. We see it in the rich man. We see it in Lazarus. When they died, their bodies gave out, and yet they continued to live. They didn't cease to exist. They stepped from this life into eternity. Notice it says when Lazarus died, the angels carried him to a place at Abraham's side. His body gave out. He was covered in sores. Uh, and the, but the real Lazarus, the real person, that, that means the soul, the spirit, continued to live, and it was carried by the angels to paradise. The body of a believer may be buried, it may be cremated, but the real person will go to the presence of the Lord, the presence of God. And at the second coming of Jesus, those who have died in Christ, the dead in Christ, will rise first, and that we which are alive and remain, we will be caught up uh, with them to be ever with the Lord. And so what happens when we die? We'll continue to live. Secondly, after we die, we immediately know our eternal destinies. We immediately know our eternal destinies. Um, immediately after the rich man and Lazarus died in Luke 16, they knew where they were going to spend eternity. So if that is the case, then that rules out a theory, or some people consider it a doctrine, which I don't, the theory of purgatory. Some people teach that there is a place called purgatory, where Christians are purged from their sins. The Bible, as I see it, does not teach this. Nowhere does the Bible indicate that there is a halfway house that you're going to go to uh, so to pay for your sins so that you can go into heaven. Here's the point. Jesus completely paid for the penalty of your sins and my sins on the cross. We talked about that last week. To believe that some uh, people would have to go to purgatory to pay for their sins is saying that the cross of Jesus is not enough. And let me say it very clearly. The cross of Jesus was enough for you. It's, what, it's enough for us. It's enough to save us from our sins. Here's the third thing. When we die, we will come to grips with the reality of forever. With the reality of forever. Most of us have a hard time 
comprehending, let me say all of us, all of us have a hard time comprehending eternity. When we think about eternity, we think about uh, sitting in the gas line at Costco. I mean, that's an eternity. I went to get gas yesterday, and the line was already out into the street. I'm thinking, I'm not going to wait on that. But we think Walmart, the, the line at Walmart, that's an eternity. Some of you are, are in the 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th. You think this semester, oh, it's an eternity. Will this semester ever end? Some of you that have middle schoolers, you think, will the middle school years ever end? It's like an eternity. Um, and so, yes, we, we don't have a, a sense of what eternity is really like. Um, but as soon as the rich man died, his wealth and status meant nothing because he came face to face with his lifestyle, his actions. He came face to face with the reality of forever. <clears throat> and we must understand that uh, eternity, um, you know, compared to eternity, your life on this earth is very, very brief. And that this is a temporary place. In fact, the Bible tells us that we're literally just passing through. And so I want you to just to be sensitive to that because so many times, all of us, we work so hard to get what we have and we hold on to that stuff. And I want you to be blessed. I want your, as the scripture said, your vats to overflow, the windows of heaven to pour out. I want all of that for you. But I want you to understand this, that stuff you're holding on to and you're working so hard for, it's going to be in the landfill someday. Uh, Patty and I are taking care of uh, aging parents, and we had to go through a season where we had to liquidate my, my dad's house, and we had to do that twice because we moved him from Abbeville to North Augusta, and then uh, North Augusta to a home. And uh, you know, we look at furniture that, that had been passed down from uh, maybe my grandparents or so or items that were just so meaningful to my parents. And, and it came to that point and we said, do y'all want this or do y'all want and our kids? And, and no, we don't want that. And so what happens is that it's not meaningful to the next generation. It goes to the landfill or it goes to Facebook marketplace. And, and are you end up paying somebody to haul it off? And so that's the reality there, that we hold on to this stuff as if this is truly something special, and, and your kids don't think it's as special as you do. And so just understand that. What's special are relationships. What's special are people. People are important. You can enjoy things, and I encourage you to enjoy them, but that thing is not going to last forever. So Luke chapter 16 says there's a heaven and then there is a hell. And it describes two real places. And you will go to one of two of these places. So let's talk about what is hell like. In scripture, hell is never referred to as a city. Because in the scripture, it talks about a city uh, uh, having community and and in hell, there'll be no community. There'll be isolation. There'll be alienation. There'll be aloneness. So the notion that you're going to go to hell and party with your friends is an incorrect idea. Okay? It's just not going to happen. Uh, it's not going to be a big party. There's not going to be a relationship, relationships there. You're going to be alone. There's going to be 
um, no dwelling places. You know, the Bible talks about mansions. There's not uh, in heaven, but there's going to be no dwelling places, no protection. Um, there's going to uh, be remorse, and there'll be shame and guilt. There'll be eternal darkness, and then eternal separation from God. Jesus describes it as a uh, fire that will not be quenched. The Bible describes it as a place of torment. We go back to Luke chapter 16, the passage of scripture that we're in today. It says, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus by his side. Verse 24, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity on us. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. Matthew describes it like this. We'll be thrown into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth is that, oh, it's that, that, that regretful feeling that you have. You know, that just a sense of loss, that sense of difficult, that, um, that, that painful, that you're always on edge and you're just feeling that. And we see other passages of Scripture said it will be like you're falling, like a bottomless pit. There's uh, several different words that describe this torment. Here's what I want you to know, that heaven was not, uh, hell was not created for you. It was not intended for uh, humans originally. In Matthew 25, it says, Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared. Notice this, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. It is not prepared originally for humans. Okay, there's never a, a talk of a throne in hell because there's an absence of God. And I believe that the greatest pain in hell will be the separation between you and God. And you may not be a believer now, but you have experienced the grace and the goodness of God. If you live in America, his grace has been shed on you. And so just understand that when you uh, think about separation from God, it changes the games, okay? And Second Thessalonians chapter 1, it says, and he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. And notice this, shut out from the presence of the Lord. They're shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I think the worst part of it all is to be separated from God. So that's uh, what hell is like. What is heaven like? Scripture says that heaven is symbolically referred to as a city. It doesn't mean like it's the city of Augusta with curbs and gutters and signs and trees and parkways. 
Scripture refers to it as a community of people where there are eternal relationships with love and friendship. I want you to think about that community experience. Let's say you're with a group of friends. Maybe it's on a Friday night and you're playing cards. Maybe you're on a vacation with them. And you have this, this sense of deep connection, this deep relationship. And, and in your mind, you have this thought, oh, I wish this would never end. I wish this night would go on forever. This, this is so special. If you can take that feeling that you've had before and multiply it by 10,000 uh, or 100,000 or so forth, that's what it would start to feel like, that community that you would have. And, and you would have that continually because you'll be reunited. You'll be reunited with your friends and family members who are believers in heaven. You say, well, what about those family members who are not believers? Uh, I believe that those will be erased from your mind, that you will reconnect with those friends and families that, who are believers in heaven. How do I uh, base this? I base this on when Jesus went into the tomb and he died, he came back to life. Uh, he had a glorified body. They recognized him. We see, uh, we see Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. They recognized him even though uh, he had lived hundreds of years prior to that. They recognized him. I believe you'll recognize people. So you'll have this glorified body. That's what we see in Jesus, which means that to me, heaven is a place of ultimate healing. In Philippians 3, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring Everything under his control, notice this, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Our bodies will be transformed. Our bodies will be healed. Several months ago, I had a conversation about the afterlife with a Stevens Creeker who works in anesthesiology. She said, Pastor Marty, let me, let me tell you what happened at work. She said, there was a man that coded and um, said when he coded, they were doing a procedure on him. They put him to sleep. He coded during the procedure. He said, she said, we brought him back to life. She said, um, when he woke up, he looked at her and said, I had the strangest, the weirdest dream. He didn't know that he coded. He said, I had the weirdest dream that I was going down this long hallway and I looked and I saw my mother and I ran to my mother and I hugged my mother. And as I was hugging her, I woke up. He didn't know he coded. Then she said, Pastor Marty said, he doesn't have any legs. And so here it is, this man that didn't have any legs, that when he had that vision of the afterlife, he was running to hug his mother. Heaven is a place of ultimate healing. So to those of you who are struggling with a body that does not work like it used to work, You're going to get a new body. You're going to get a glorified body. 
you're going to be healed. When I was growing up, we talked about heaven a lot, and, and we, we sang songs about heaven, whether it was when the roll is called up yonder or when we all get to heaven. We talked about, we sang about songs about mansions. You know, when I think about a mansion, you know, it may not be like, uh, like we would call a mansion. It may be, but I look at a mansion that, that sim, uh, symbolically would mean that you're going to feel safe and secure there. The people in heaven are not going to be exposed to dangerous or harmful things. They're going to be protected from fear and anxiety and worry. God will protect you. The Bible mentions white robes in heaven, and somebody said, well, I don't look so good in white. Well, uh, let me say, white robes are a symbol that means that you'll be able to walk without shame, that you'll walk without remorse or any lingering sense of defeat due to sins or hang-ups. The Bible talks about rivers and streets of gold and diamonds. What's that all about? I think it says that heaven will be a place of beauty. It's a place of awe and wonder. It is something like you have never seen before. And when you see it, it will be like, take your breath away. Several years ago, Patty and I took our kids on a California road trip and we went to Sequoia National Park and we knew that there were big trees there. We just knew about that. And so we're going down the road and then all of a sudden we turned the corner and we saw a Sequoia tree. Now, we knew that they were there, but the moment that we saw one face-to-face, it was like, whoa, it was like it took our breath away. I think when you step over into heaven, it will take your breath away because it will be uh, filled with awe and wonder. Scripture talks about a throne in heaven. The throne points us to God. The throne points us to a place of authority. Isaiah himself said, And I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the book of Revelations, John said, uh, and once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And so it's a place of authority. John describes heaven, said it will be filled with jaspers and rubies. Uh, There will be a rainbow that looks like an emerald. There will be flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. Uh, from the, the throne, it's like a, a sea of glass. It will be crystal. And then the angels will bow down and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It's going to be wonderful. So what happens when we die? That's the question we're, we're working on. What happens when we die? What happens when we die? We'll stand before God and we'll give an account for our one and only life. We see this in Hebrews 9 and 27. And just as a person is destined to die once, once, and after that comes judgment, one day God's going to settle the accounts. He's going to settle the accounts. God doesn't always settle the accounts at the end of the week, end of the month, or even the end of the quarter or the year, but he will settle the accounts. And I believe that his grace will be removed and we'll stand before him. Now, Very personally, I don't believe that God will send anyone to hell. But I believe that people, that it will be something like this. Based on your decision to live apart from God all of your life, I will grant you your request forever. I think that's how it will be. I think people choose. 
That's the point. You get to choose where you will spend eternity. You get to choose where you'll spend eternity. We see this in Joshua 24. It says, choose for yourself this day whom you'll serve. It's our choice. God doesn't want anybody to perish. That's what we talked about in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Here's the point. Your ticket to heaven is in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus. John 3.16 is the most important verse in your Bible, I believe, because you get to choose and you get to receive Jesus. And he is enough. I've been thinking about the afterlife a lot these days. This Tuesday, uh, day after tomorrow, will mark one year um, that my mother passed away. When I think about heaven, I think about my mom is healed. She struggled with Alzheimer's over 10 years. It was brutal, brutal. We would not want her back today in the condition in which she left. It was brutal. And so she probably lost maybe 80 pounds, maybe 100 pounds when it was all said and done. Um, It was just tragic. So her mind is gone, and we're there with her, you know. um, And I'll never forget, maybe a few days before she passed, Patty was there by her side holding her hand, and she looked up at Patty, and she said, I didn't forget you. It was like in that moment she had clarity. I never forgot you. You know, things often come into clarity when we get to the end. We see what's really important. Our relationships are important. At her funeral, I asked Todd to uh, sing a Vince Gill song, Go Rest High on That Mountain. And I just thought, as a way to honor my mom, that I would get Todd to sing that song for you. Listen. Love for the 
I know that relates to so many of you today. Because so many people in this room, in our Grovetown campus, our South campus, you know the pain of losing some, someone special to you. And it's my prayer that God's grace would cover you and that would walk with you through this season of remembering and this season of grief. And as you go through the coming days that you will know that in Christ there are better days ahead. Something better's coming. And so put your hope in him. Now the biggest lie that Satan will tell you is that you have plenty of time to do that. And so I want you to understand that 
The Bible teaches us that today is the day of salvation. Today is the accepted time. And so I don't know where you stand with your eternity, but there's no better day than today than to make things right with the Lord. I want to pray for you. I want to pray over you, and then I want to lead you in a prayer. So here's what I want you to do. In our Grovetown campus, I want you to stand, South Campus stand, and in this auditorium, let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bring our church family, Stevens Creek family, together. And Father, we're at different places in our journey, but there are certain, and there's a number of us today, that there's been a, a nerve that's been touched. And Father, I just pray right now that you'd bring healing to us and that you'd bring comfort and that you would help us to remember that there are better days ahead. So, Father, I speak peace. I speak life over this church and over you. And, Father, I also understand that there are people that have never made a decision to follow Christ. Today is your day. And if that's you, just pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, say that. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Say that. Say, come into my heart. And forgive me of my sins. Pray this. Say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person you'd have me to be. I give you my life. Save me. And Father, as they pray that prayer, I ask that you would allow your miracles' hands to rest upon them. Now, Father, as we leave this place, go with us and give us your peace. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Grovetown, South Augusta. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.